0: Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two year old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. I wish to offer a content warning for this podcast. Some of this interview involves discussions around child sexual abuse and abuse, which may be distressing to some listeners. If you find anything triggering or upsetting about this podcast, please check out the show notes for links and resources. But always remember to look after your own mental health first. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. I am here with Genevieve Jones, one of my friends who I met mutually through the our mutual work through WA Child Safety Service. Um, Genevieve is a social scientist and I won't try and explain what that is because I'm learning something new today but she has a degree or bachelor's degree in social science which we just joked about that she's the Brene Brown of Western Australia (laughs) but she uses her social science degree to work uh, with children and people in relationship to that. So Thank you for joining me, Jen. I really appreciate you for having a chat with me today. Um, You've got a very interesting interesting story. But first of all, tell me about how you got into social science.
1: Okay, so I I started off doing social work, actually. Oh, no, that was the second attempt at uni. The first attempt, I think, was health promotion. Anyway, I did a bit of... I got to the social work degree. It was very dry. It didn't seem like it was the degree I wanted to get. And then I heard social science was a little better in a way you could choose um, your majors and minors a lot. So I, I did, I focused in, there was lots of units on um, child sex abuse or child abuse in general. There was units on psychology, sociology. Yeah. So it, it seemed a lot, um, just a lot more inviting than yeah. um, the social work degree. Um, yeah, so it kind of has a lot of social work units in it, but it's also padded out with, you know, specific units on abuse and children and child development, which is where I was always wanting to head was was working with children. So, yeah, it seemed a lot more kind of fitting.
0: Yeah, and what led you to that, um, that wanting to work with children and, and learning more about the psychology and stuff like that? Yeah, it,
1: it, it was definitely from my childhood um, and I've always had a very – Inquisitive mind, I guess, um, and being interested in, in, you know, social relationships and what makes people tick, and from from quite a young age, um, yeah. And and from from the trauma I suffered, um, I felt um, almost it was an attempt to understand how I responded and how people in general respond to trauma, how I survived, and how we can um, promote. Healing, I guess, as well, when someone's been traumatized. So through through my personal interest, um, and also that desire to to try to um, help other people or prevent other people more so um, mm. from having to experience the the well nightmare that I that I lived as a child.
0: Yeah. So you you've mentioned um, trauma as a child, and and I know that you have uh, like lived experience in child sexual abuse and child abuse. Um, you know are you comfortable if you're comfortable do you want to just explain a little bit about like what uh that feels like for you as an adult now you said you had 25 years of of therapy and you you've done a lot of healing and a lot of development which is what I expect from not expect but what I see people in your situation people who've gone on to help others because you want you want I know from my own personal experience with you know, mental and emotional and psychological abuse, I, I, I'm I, driven to help others. Mm. And it sounds like you're a bit the same. You were driven to help. Yeah.
1: Yes, it, it does seem that so many people in our field are, are drawn to this area, does not it? Most people have had their own experiences without a doubt. And I think, you know, you have to dig, I, I guess, as part of the healing recovery process. And I think you perhaps wouldn't have to go there if you hadn't had it. So I think yeah. that kind of... Yeah, pushes people in that direction to help yeah. others once they've got a few, um, a little bit on their way to recovery. Um, yeah, so I experienced, um, well, I suppose for now, when you said, how does it impact my life now, or something like that, um, I've got complex post traumatic stress disorder, yeah. um, which is really, really hard to, to function with. Um, and i think we spoke the other day about the the one big component can be the um the issues with trying to sleep and that that's just really really one of the ongoing um, issues that i struggle with um, so that complex ptsd obviously it's it's you know the difference between the ptsd and the complex ptsd is it's an ongoing exposure to trauma and and multiple events so yeah. that was very much what I endured from, you know, it was probably from in utero, I'd say I would have started suffering the adverse consequences of my mother's health, um, the high cortisol and things like that. Yeah. But then, yeah, and then and it was just chaos from the, from the moment I was born, my life. But it got really, really particularly traumatic and horrific when she left my father for a sex offender um, and I can quite – confidently say he was a psychopath yeah um so my mum it's important I suppose to understand the vulnerability of my mother so she was a single mum with four children had quite chronic mental health issues herself yeah had been sexually as a child so it's that intergenerational transmission um and didn't have the capacity to keep her four children safe yeah um so I believed um the sex offender who offended against me and my siblings he was a true psychopath and he also was a a sex offender so groomed yeah um you know the whole family the whole community and then groomed me and my siblings to be sexually abused so i lived three to eight um and that was when probably i mean it was pretty until I was early 20s, actually, in my life, to be honest, under the yeah. kind of um, as, as my mother being who she was and quite very, very unstable. Um, I think she got diagnosed a few times and a few different diagnoses, as, as you do, but, mm. but basically related, like you know, bipolar disorder, personality disorder. Um, so she had all those kind of labels. Um, but yeah, she she was a very vulnerable target and this, um, Psychopath just um, spent years and years, um, not only with the sexual abuse but the physical abuse. So the domestic yeah. violence between him and my mother was was I would say equally if not more as, as damaging as as what the sexual abuse was. Not that we can kind of compare suffering no. and abuse, but that was just as horrific. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that that was um, definitely from from. The moment that we that he started with all the abuse, um, I would have had PTSD, yeah, um, yeah, because his his um behaviors were really quite um
0: extreme, sick,
1: yeah, very extreme, yes, very
0: extreme, psychopathic, it's, I guess you'd say. It's something that you see. Um, well, I saw as a detective and working in child abuse in the child abuse yeah. squad. I saw very similar stories to yours where wow. you know, like and it seems to be that uh you know parents who have been abused or are in domestic violence especially domestic violence they have yeah. a they have this huge um vulnerability that they they're so much more vulnerable mm-hmm. to to those people they they're searching for families like that who are vulnerable because um yes and and your mum was vulnerable.
1: Yeah. Your mum was vulnerable. So, yeah. Yes, she was so vulnerable. And you know, like you say, yeah, they just magnetise to to vulnerable families. And he had you know access to four children, and and mum would go and work at night time. So yeah. you know we were just um yeah extremely vulnerable, and and that's just makes the crime so horrific to know that you know you're already struggling with the vulnerabilities. And then, yeah, then you get that on top of it. But um, Yeah, I know. Yeah, and and also, yeah, the the trauma that my mum had and she never dealt with any of it and became an alcoholic and then um, wasn't able to identify abuse. She was being beaten up by him um, and she was just, um, yeah, not able to protect us.
0: Yeah, and we still see that today. Like, you know, we're in our forties and whatnot. And, you know, that was quite mm-hmm. common back in, that was much more common. You know, you saw yeah, it early 80s. Yeah. Early 80s. Um, But now we're mm. still saying, we're still seeing that it's just, it's, we're, we're talking about it more, I guess. No. But back when your mum was quite dealing with all of this stuff, it would have been hidden away. You wouldn't go and mm-hmm. seek help or get or talk to someone or no, way. One. no one would be reporting this, what they were seeing to anyone else. Um very hidden. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and also lived, lived in a house in, in a really, you know, um, high socio economic area, Netherlands. You know, white picket fence, he had a lot of money, drove a yellow Volvo, was a businessman. Yeah. So even, um, I think it was even extra hidden because it was a very affluent area and people just didn't think it kind of happened in those areas. But as we know, no, no one's immune yeah so it was very much felt we very much fell through the gaps.
0: yeah, I bet. wow. So what do you think so post all of the all of what happened and leaving home and stuff like that, um yeah, where did you go from there like did you you did you go straight to uni, where you're working? like what happened with you once you were um, out of that environment?
1: So I managed to make it to the end of year twelve with with not very good grades and not very good attendance because of the level of chaos in my house. Mum had left him when I was eight, but then she went on to have a string of abusive relationships, not not sexually abusive to me, but very, very physically violent. So I never had an environment that was conducive to to study whatsoever. In fact, Mum had moved out when I was about 14, and my older brother, who got into drugs very early, was the one that was meant to be my, you know, responsible Role model. So I essentially lived in a, in a party drug house Oh my yeah, god! from about 14 to 17. So yeah. no parents ever. And just, yeah, birds of a feather, I guess. All the people who were a little bit lost and yeah. getting into drugs usually from trauma most of the time, when I look back in hindsight, the house was just a, a permanent party house. So I ended up going to uni quite a bit later. I went into the health and fitness industry because exercise is what kind of helped me deal with the cortisol and the stress yep. not that I knew it at the time so then that kind of gravit, I kind of gravitated towards that area and it wasn't until a little bit later that I yes got into the social science and started wanting to work in this area in the, yeah yeah child abuse area
0: yeah, yeah right. so it was
1: definitely not a linear not a linear process but yeah that that's kind of how it happened
0: how do you think? How do you think having the experiences that you did and knowing what you've gone through has helped you in your social science and your degree and your work with child, um, with children and and other victims?
1: I guess having that lived experience of just how horrific and how pervasive trauma is. Understand. So it happened when I was three. My first memories are going kind of about four ish. To know how the how the body adapts to trauma. Yeah. So I suppose I had all those PTSD symptoms. Like I had the hypervigilance, I had the, the frozenness. I would just basically oscillate between flight, fight, and freeze my whole childhood. Mm. So I can really identify children when, when you've experienced it yourself, it's it's very easy to identify and have an understanding of actually how they're basically many of them are living on survival mode. Yeah. So I suppose that insight with, with the impact of trauma. Um, I, I kind of believe unless you really experience some form of trauma, it's very hard to even imagine just how how hard it is to manage and just how your life is so different from someone that doesn't have trauma.
0: Yeah, that's a good question about trauma, right? Oh, because what, like, we'll get back to, you know, like the difference. So when you see a child, what kind of signs does a child in trauma or living in that fight, flight, freeze um, what kind of yeah. signs, what kind of signs do you remember from your own childhood and when you see children in your job?
1: Yep. so I guess my most prevalent one would be the freeze response. yeah, and I know with that freeze response, you know my my stress levels, my cortisol cortisol levels and adrenaline were always so high and they never switched off. So I was constantly scanning the environment, I was constantly hypervigilant. I was a people pleaser because I thought if I didn't make someone angry, then yep. they won't hurt me, and I won't be abused, and I won't be abandoned. Yep. So I've had to work really hard on that because that that was my survival skill. If I got someone angry, and particularly my mother's de facto, that was when he was angry, and he made up a reason as to why I was um, why he was abusing me. But I ended up internalising it like like most children do. Yes, like it was all my fault. It was so much guilt, so much shame. He said, so his, his grooming was, I was dirty for wearing knickers to bed. And I was only like nearly four when it first started. I was dirty for wearing knickers to bed. So he would have to punish me and that would be sexual abuse in the shower. And I just 100% believed until I was about 16 that I, I deserved that punishment because I was dirty. So, so that guilt and that shame, and I think shame is something that, you know, it, it is so damaging for, yes. you, for your sense of self. It was very fragmented. And, yeah, so I just oscillated between that freeze response. The people from a very young age, I was always waiting for the next Christ, right? pretty much, if not daily, then weekly. So yeah. my my whole nervous system just adapted to this ongoing you know, preparing yourself for the next crisis really just completely exhausts and damages your nervous system.
0: Does that show as anxiety? As well as your brain. So, you know, that little amygdala. Yeah. Sorry? Does does that show as anxiety or like anxiety-like symptoms? Definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely say anxiety. And um, that inability to actually just feel safe. And, and I think, you know, from protective behaviours, we do that we all have the right to feel safe and be safe mm-hmm. at all times. And I, I just didn't know what it was to feel safe.
0: And mm-hmm. that, that's
1: something I take forward. We can't assume that children even know what it is to feel safe because I, I wouldn't have been able to explain. It's only in the last probably five years that I can actually have a real fleeting glimpse of, of feeling safe in my body. Yeah. So I think all the disassociation, um, that definitely impacts your, your capacity to function and i think disassociation is like that mental flight so i physically couldn't get out of that bathroom or away from him so mentally i would i would escape
0: yeah so i think
1: living with that that dissociation is um, really impairs your capacity to, to do a lot of things
0: so is that like so is that like people who uh, might be a little bit making up not making up but like they're not often in dream world kind of thing often daydreaming yeah, totally yeah
1: yes exactly they've taken themselves to another place and and I can spot them in class and sometimes it might just be that developmental you know daydreaming but I can I can spot it I know lots of kids that are traumatized and you can see them and you know teachers will often say oh you know they're they're, they're real daydreamers and it's like no it's it's trauma so I think it gives you that trauma lens yeah um but very hard to focus because you just don't want to be in the moment because that's scary to be in the moment so it's it's like almost a symptoms similar to adhd in a way as well i guess very very disrupted so most photos you see when i was in primary school i've got massive black bags under my eyes and then in high school i lived in the party house so we were we were out drinking too late and i wasn't sleeping Mm. um because we were drinking and doing stuff like that um but then when i actually stopped and all the ptsd symptoms just came and hit me in the face in a massive way and i was virtually housebound um and that's when the real severe kind of insomnia kicked in. Yeah. You know, I was having flashbacks and nightmares and too scared to sleep. And my body just couldn't relax enough to, to get into that sleep state. Yeah. 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 So it's hard to kind of gauge how I was as a kid because before, after
0: trauma, I don't know, but mm. Yeah another another symptom I think of trauma that I hear of from victims is the yeah. like the there's gaps in their memory.
1: yeah, yes, and that makes it so confusing and so hard. Like I remember the first time I went to the police station to to give a statement, and this was when I just accessed therapy and I'd realized oh my f and God, like I cannot believe this has all happened, but it all just came flooding back. but it comes in snapshots, yeah. so it's not, like a big con- it's not like a sequential story from the beginning to the end, which makes it so hard to kind of report because that's not how, when you're that age, that's not how your brain stores it at all. So mm. mine's snapshots and very hard to have like a, you know, if they say what time it was, I wouldn't know. So certain things that I was asked, I, I just had no idea because my memories were stored as, as kind of like flashes. Yeah. yeah, so very hard to do. Some, some things I remember... Not so much the, the sexual abuse. I remember a lot of the, he did a lot of torturing stuff, so I remember a lot of things he used to do to me. I remember them quite clearly. And the domestic violence, I remember just, you know, being frozen in fear, thinking my mum was going to die. But, yeah, the memory is definitely not clear or, or, or sequential at all. Yeah, it's very fragmented.
0: Yeah, and that's a cool body. thing That's a cool Yeah,
1: Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, the good old Bessel van der Kolk, the body keeps the score.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you read that one? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing that one. Um and and that was just so true for me. Like, you know, I was just like a bundle of tense muscles. So even though I didn't have a lot of the memories and and understanding why I was like that, my body just yeah, it definitely the issues are in your tissues, they say, and I I think that that body just really
0: remembers everything that goes on. Mm. Yeah. So what was a turning point for you? What were like I, and I don't. I had someone say to me recently that you don't ever heal from that kind of trauma. You don't ever. And we like to say trauma healing. I'm on a healing journey. Yes. And we we yes. say all these. We say all these yes. catchwords. But and some people seem to heal or like appear to be healing more than others, right? Yes. But, yes. And some people are so caught up in their emotions and and the what happened to them that they they don't seem to be functioning. Yes. But, and so what was a turning point for you? Like what, how, do you feel like you have recovered, healed, What all of those things? I know that you've done a lot of work and you, um, all of that. Yeah. What do you reckon? So
1: I would say um, healing and recovery are a lifelong process.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, there's often, you know, in the media, that you can often get conceptions of people going from surviving to thriving and I, I definitely would. Say I'm thriving. <laughs> I had, I, Who I is though? I <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, so sometimes I survive a lot better than other times, and, and yep. I'm very sensitive to stress. So yep. as soon as a few things, you know, children, exes, all that kind of stuff, ex husbands, and stressors in my life, as soon as the stresses get big, I know that the, the symptoms get really, really high. And my window of tolerance, you know, the window of tolerance.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And if you've had trauma, it ends up sometimes being like that so it doesn't like really take small much. yes so it doesn't take much for me to kind of be feeling really overwhelmed and then when you're in those high stress places you can kind of resort to your kind of old coping mechanisms which mm. aren't that helpful so i would say when i was 23 it that was the age where i just got bombarded with all the the stuff that i think i'd held in tight so mm. i i they're having panic attacks and I don't know if you've ever had them, Christy, but they are yes. they are so scary, so terrifying. I thought I thought I was going mad, I thought I was never going to get out of this trance of being in a panic attack. Sometimes it felt like I was in one the whole day. Like sometimes I just couldn't shift out of that that panic. So mm-hmm. I don't have them anymore. And that that's a huge win. And and that's from therapy. And so 23, I was bombarded with all the PTS symptoms in a massive way. And I and I was I was housebound. And that forced me because I had not the choice. You know, I was just so scary thinking my fear was so massive that I was just incubated in terror
0: Mm -hmm. and I just
1: couldn't even go out. So I I accessed therapy and that, that I say, is the single most important thing. If you can find a skilled therapist who's, you know, full bottle on trauma and very, very trauma-informed, yeah, that, that's that been my one constant and, and what definitely has contributed to where I am now, I'd say. And I never really had much of a safe person in my life. Mm. And so it's almost now I've got that one consistent safe mm. person. So that just is really healing for my nervous system. And and I suppose it's the validation. And I think with trauma, Christy, I realise more and more it, it's about, I think most of the trauma comes from being alone in your trauma, Oh, yeah. And, and I was so alone all the time. So, you know, I was told not to talk and all that kind of stuff. So I, I carried that trauma and I was just so alone with it. And I think that's where a big part of the trauma comes from. So now having some, you know, safe relationships and connection, that's definitely,
0: Makes you a know, difference. been
1: really, really nourishing. Yeah, massive difference and, and very nourishing for my nervous system. I find it hard to ask for help, but, yeah, it's these skills, I guess, that as you get on the recovery program, yeah. You learn. I suppose I adapted in so many survival mechanisms. So it's kind of trying to lose all those ways that I had to Hmm. adapt, and then they come maladaptive, don't they? And it's like, well, that worked and it's great. I survived it, but now that now then they became maladaptive. So then it's having to kind of reinvent, you know, you. Mm. So yes, I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't know how far I am in it, but I have more good days than bad days. Um, That's a blessing, and, and I'm. Yeah, and I, and I suppose just being so trauma informed and so educated in in trauma and how it impacts the body and what helps and what doesn't, that yeah, I feel like I am kind of getting better as we as time goes on.
0: Yeah. You know. Do Do you think having the the knowledge that you do around trauma actually helps in recovering from trauma?
1: Or ha- having the knowledge helps? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because for so long, all the symptoms were confusing, and I couldn't. You know, there was no names for them and it was just this awful kind of numb feeling or disassociated feeling. And before I learnt kind of, oh, wow, that's how my body adapted and, and that was, you know, that was so brilliant and so clever that it did that rather than being ashamed of the fact that, you know, I'd start having these feelings and feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah, having understanding that's actually a normal response to an abnormal situation. So it, yep. it's quite de-shaming and, and quite empowering to know, that this is what happens with trauma. Like, this is a symptom of trauma. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it help, helps a lot with the shame, I think, of you know feeling like you're a bit of a freak cake. Um, knowing that it's a, uh, it couldn't have been any other way.
0: Well, you've said you've said some really powerful things in the la- like just then. You know, you said that trauma when you're alone in your trauma and you can't talk to anyone, yeah. and and finding that safe person that you can talk to that's not going to make you feel yeah. worse, and you know, like. I haven't had it put to me that way. Like the worst thing is, is that you're alone with your trauma and it's the worst thing that can happen to you because you're in it. It's just you in it on like sinking basically. And the second thing is, is that, that I really love that you pointed out is that knowing how your body reacts and why it's reacting and being Mm. able to understand those reactions and realize that they're, like you said, it's a normal reaction for an abnormal experience basically
1: yeah. yes like yeah. that's really a powerful training. something
0: yeah
1: yeah and i think you know when you get the understanding of the nervous system you know the autonomic nervous system and how with trauma you know you're stuck in the in the sympathetic nervous system so you're constantly on that fight fight yeah. so how we can actually control um with with effort obviously and and time and practice to get out of that sympathetic into the the parasympathetic and and there's so many ways we can do it and they're effective so, yeah. it, you know, it, it gives you hope because it's like I don't have to be stuck feeling like that all the time. There's These are the skills that if I do them, then I'll take myself out of that, you know, that really uncomfortable, flight, fight, freeze survival mode, mm. Yeah, which is exhausting. And I think I did develop chronic fatigue for a few years and, you know, just all that adrenaline and running on that adrenaline ends up just depleting, depleting you. And, yeah, so it's exhausting living like that.
0: It makes a lot of sense because obviously with my own situation, you know, getting PTSD from the policing and and, you know, it started off as hypervigilance and anxiety and then and then become oh, PTSD. Wow. And you know how you're talking yes. about that that window of what was the word? Window tolerance. of tolerance. And I yeah, I yeah. know myself that it got it's like little. <laughs> and I used yes. to have all the patients in the world, all the patients in the world. And I know. Yes, and
1: Yeah, it really does shrink it, doesn't it? It really does shrink it. And I try to explain to people, like, you don't understand, like, it doesn't take much before I'm just overwhelmed and, and, and I'm just a few things and I'm done. Like, it was like, you know, I've got less than half battery life kind of thing. So, yes. it, yeah, really, I think that's the part that really is it, it. I mean, I suffer mainly from all the PTSD, which is more anxiety than depression. But then when you feel restricted because you're like, I know I've got the skills, you know, I've got mm-hmm. the the capacity, but it, it is compromised by the trauma. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that can really, that gets frustrating, but, you know, you deal with it how you best can, I
0: guess. I think a bit of compassion towards the fact that you have gone through all of that and you've survived and you're, you're creating, uh, you know, you're helping others. I know that being the people pleaser we are, we don't yeah. want to, we, we want to be more all the time. We want to be more, more, yeah. more, but yes. we can't. It's never good enough. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think
1: sometimes realising your capacity and it's just, it's not an option anymore. Like you can't be the perfectionist. You can't, you're, you know, you, you can't pull from empty cup kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that kind of, I suppose, in a way forces you to do that self-care, doesn't it? Yeah. Which I would never yeah. knew what self-care was. So that's, you know, really forced me to go, if I don't start you know looking after myself, then one, I can't look after my kids, but two, you know, you're no good to anyone. So yeah, it yeah. Does, does force the self-care.
0: Oh, yeah. And then you'll fall in a heap again if you don't, like you'll just be just exactly. to everyone. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So one question I ask everyone um, yeah. is that, and I've got this saying that if people knew what I knew that, or parents knew what I knew, they would yeah. do things differently. So what's one thing you can think of that if parents knew what you knew, they would do things differently?
1: I think it is to have a, I mean, there's a lot of things, but what comes to the top of my mind first is I know so many times in so many situations, and even when I've worked worked with families as a, you know, protective behaviours educator and a safety advocate, you know, they've just been in total bewilderment and shock and disbelief. That something like this could happen in their family, and you know, it's still a bit of a belief that it kind of happens out there and not not in our place or not in our suburb. And just for for I suppose parents to understand how prevalent it is, mm. because I still think maybe it's a certain level level of denial that you know that that kind of stuff wouldn't happen in our family or to anyone I know, kind of thing. But just yeah, how prevalent it is. You know, we say what do we say? One in three girls, one in six to seven boys. Yep. um, and that's that's the ones that are just reported, and we know it's the most, most underreported crime. and also, I suppose that what I say in parent workshops is just making sure you always believe the child and And I did tell my mum at um was it sixteen years, about sixteen actually when when it all started coming up, I think it was mm. quite repressed, and she didn't believe me, and that was trauma on trauma, yeah, and I'm still hearing so many stories of kids you know who are telling parents and they're dismissing it saying they're lying, um, couldn't have happened, maybe they're just exaggerating. So I just think, you know, just that one simple thing, always believe the child because that that would have changed my trajectory a lot to have that validation and that belief from the very person who was caring for me to then take his side and, and belittle me and shame me and so that that was a bit of a turning point where I went off a very, very slippery slope with, with risk-taking and stuff like that. So So believing the child knowing that um it's actually something that is very common in society yes uh, and and having the open honest conversations like not thinking that you know it's something that children can't handle listening to as long as it's age appropriate but just to make those ongoing conversations part of part of your child's life because yeah, you
0: know
1: yeah. yeah so i'm imagining
0: as a parent and after everything and talking about age appropriate conversations and we'll we'll talk about this and then um finish up but I'm yeah. imagining that after the experiences you've had and the knowledge that you have as age appropriate conversations it would have been like talked about in your family you wouldn't have hidden away from this subject and I didn't it didn't I didn't hide away from it either like you know my 3-year-old I was talking about body autonomy and what you know all of these things protective behaviors things so it, am it I right
1: yeah t- totally like it definitely becomes Almost the most important part of parenting. Yes. So yeah. So like you, Christy, I had you know I had all the books, I had all the conversations, all the clips. You know, be like, oh, ma, I'm not another one of these books again. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was so so important and um and and just knowing that you know obviously if you educate your children in the body safety and secrets and stuff like that, that you know they are less of a of a target for sex offenders, and you're decreasing their risk, not increasing their risks of you know. I had a mum once say to me, I don't want my child doing what you're teaching, she'll lose her innocence. And I'm like, no, what loses their innocence is when they're being abused and they don't know what to do. Yes. Like, you know, so it's just, you know, it's they deserve that empowerment. It's their right to have that education to keep themselves safe. So, of course, it's, it's you know, I think the most powerful tool we have is education when it comes I, to reducing sex. Yeah, I 100%
0: agree. It's like yeah. my, my big thing is, and it's, it's why I wrote a book about it um, yeah, you know, I I didn't write it about protective behaviors, but I wrote it about my yes. experiences so that parents knew what I knew. Yes. But but I am one thousand percent protective behaviors education can prevent yes. child abuse, along with being a protective parent, along with being absolutely you know, it does it, we can prevent it. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Well, thank you so much. So just to finish off, yeah. so you've gone through all of that and you're yep. teaching protective behaviours and, and what else are you doing in your life? So I'm just actually really focusing on my girls at the
1: moment because they're both yeah. needing a bit of extra... Um, Love and attention. Yeah, they certainly are. And I wouldn't want to put my attention anywhere else. Financially, <sighs> it's not that great, but um, I'm happy that I'm in the position where I can actually do that. So, yeah, so it's really kind of being there for my children and, and I guess... I didn't have parents that were there for me and my mum was yeah. very absent. Yeah. So it, it feels like a privilege that I can actually be there, you know, yeah. my children a lot. And then, yes, and then I do the protective behaviours. So, I, you know, working one-to-one, teaching the protective behaviours programme, doing a few workshops on grooming and for teenagers and things like that. But, yeah, so workshops and, and one-to-one kind of sessions I'm mainly doing at the moment. Yeah.
0: I think I think... And I can talk from experience when you haven't had that supportive parenting role model, mm. that's all you want to be for your kids. Totally. I don't know. Absolutely. I don't know. All I can think of is and I'm I'm in a similar situation. I mean, I'm working for myself, but I'm yeah. in a similar situation. I didn't have you know, I was kicked out of home at fifteen, my daughter's fifteen. Wow. You know, like yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Like I'm like, you know, I just want to be there for her so she doesn't feel totally. either, how alone and what you Felt. yeah felt yeah maybe a little bit smothering yes. but I'm just at the same time I'm like I just need to be there <laughs> so I can totally relate yeah to that. I'm the same
1: I'm the same especially in those risk-taking years where I think like I said, said before you know if you don't have that connection yeah you know they don't care what you say if you don't have the connection they don't care what you say so yes I read a lot of the, you know how to you know nurture that that attachment with the children I think that is probably the single most important thing as well else they don't care what you say so yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's it's time
0: spent. Yeah, and exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah, I I, I yeah. wonder. I don't think I talk to parents of like adults, like they've got adult children. They're like, you never stop worrying about them. I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> like, oh my god, my whole and you know because we have that anxious, oh. nervous yes. system. Like yes. I'm forever gonna be anxious and nervous about my child. <laughs>
1: I know, and they haven't even got their license yet, so I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate you being so candid and sharing your story. And um, it's very inspiring, and it's also helpful. I think people realizing that they they're not alone by hearing stories like yours. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, thanks, Christy. It was a pleasure to be on your podcast. And um, there was no yawning and no yelling at your your
0: husband. So it was a win. <laughs> I think I have to explain this now. Thank you very much, Jen. So um, a, I, thanks Jen for dobbing me in. Um, I've got a group, a, a group chat, you know, a Facebook group, um, and I, I do a Facebook live now and again and, and and Jen's laughing about the fact that my husband walked in on my Facebook live and I ass- assertively assertively. Told, him, assertively told him off whilst on the Facebook live. <laughs> and she thinks very it's good her. value.
1: <laughs> it's a great way how you can make a serious topic and actually make most people, you know, do quite a few belly laughs in your in your online chats. Christy, I think they've become part of my therapy, actually, the laughing therapy, and oh. I learn from it as well.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, awesome. All yeah. right. Well. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and it empowers parents, and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media either under Christy McVee or Cape AU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book Operation Kids Safe via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.